Hello, this is David Shirley from Irish Funds. At the recent Irish Funds online annual conference, we featured a number of keynote addresses from high-profile international industry figures. In this podcast episode, we are delighted to welcome Shundron Thomas, President of Northern Trust Asset Management. Shundron discusses the drivers of accelerated developments over the past 18 months in asset management and is also joined by Pat Lardner, Chief Executive of Irish Funds, to explore some of his key talking points including the importance of compassion in leadership, embracing digitally driven relationship management, and what are the key attributes of an agile organization. I hope you enjoy this episode and check back soon for more great content. Good day. Let me begin by offering a warm greeting to the many participants tuned in around the globe. Now, I've had the privilege in the past of gracing the physical stage uh, for this conference in actually a number of locations. And it is an equal privilege today to uh, share this virtual stage uh, with many industry leaders and colleagues. Now, while I certainly very much look forward to the time where we can uh, do these forums in person, uh, the one upshot that I have for today is I can genuinely state that each of you is afforded the best seat in the digital house. Now, what I've also been afforded the opportunity to do today is share perspectives on the conference theme, which is transformation. And it's the kind of change that creates disruption and opportunity. Uh, moreover, the conference theme highlights the evolving rate or pace of change uh, that we can see and in many respects feel. And, and from my perspective, this is not a notion, it's a practical reality. The dynamic change that is a bedrock of the fund industry is in fact accelerating. And I believe that this acceleration that we see and we feel is largely a result of sexual, secular trends uh, that from my vantage point have been in place for some time. Now, these forces uh, that are, are largely at work, right now they're creating, I would say, more, more seismic shifts. And so as I consider the future, I wanna be clear, I certainly don't have a crystal ball. And like many of you, however, I'm very intellectually curious, and I'm an avid student of financial markets and the global fund business. And so it's really from that vantage point and in that spirit that I've entitled this presentation, Accelerated Developments. And given I have a finite amount of time, what I'll attempt to do is not transverse the ocean or boil it. Uh, instead, I wanna offer perspective, and I'm gonna do that in the context of, of three sub-themes. And those sub-themes are this, number one, technology, the problem and the solution. Number two, sustainability is sustainable. And number three, the agile take most. Now, what I'll do is I'll use these frames, these th three, three themes rather, uh, to frame my observations and insights. And following that, uh, my remarks, I'll be joined by Pat Lartner and we'll, he'll facilitate an active dialogue and we'll get to hear some questions uh, and answer some questions that I hope will be pertinent to all of you. Uh, so let's start uh, with the first theme, technology, uh, the problem, and the solution. And now the first thing uh, that I observe about uh, this thought on technology being both the problem and the solution is the fact that the house wins. And what I mean by that is if you think about our business, technology is now table stakes. And so the effective uh, deployment of technology in and of itself cannot create what I would consider a differentiator in any of our businesses because it is just core to delivering your value proposition. And so the reality of our industry uh, is an inconvenient truth, and it is this. The industry will invariably overspend on technology. Now, what do I mean by that? 
And as much as all of the firms who have to invest in this core enabler will not get what I would call the requisite return on their technology investment, uh, in a sense, that's pretty much a problem, right? And so the overall marketplace, however, if you think about all the stakeholders, most notably our clients, they'll actually benefit for this, from this cumulative investment. And so again, like I say, the house always wins. Now there's a challenge for all of us as individual investors in technology and deployers of technology in terms of how do we make that meaningful in our context. <clears throat> now what's helping us? One of the things that's helping us is that the machines are learning and so are we. And when I talk about machine learning, in essence, what we're talking about is our technology tools and systems that effectively are learning uh, from uh, the data that is richly available. And so increasingly they can uh, do tasks that we once only thought associated with humans. Uh, they can do many of these tasks actually better and faster uh, than we can do. And what we're seeing in our business, and I'm sure all of you are seeing this in yours, is, is it's foundational because our business revolves around the ability to amass, to safe keep, to process, and to draw insights from data. And so the fact that machines are learning, the fact that we have these incredible technology advancements and machine learning and AI, they actually present a very real opportunity. Now, one of the challenges that you have is we all like a good story. And in our proverbial stories, there's generally a villain and a victor. But in this story, we are not pitted against technology. So the goal is not so much about, you know, machines replacing humans. You sometimes hear that narrative. It's rather about what I would describe as machines augmenting our abilities. And so we have to become our bionic selves. And so what that means practically for us is each and every day, we have to relearn our old ways of doing things in light of these technology advancements. Now, one of the things I also see from the technology perspective, and this is a positive upshot, is what I refer to as digital being able to cross the divide. And so what we're seeing is over time, it's harder and harder to engage with our many stakeholders, including our clients. And we can see practically through uh, the execution of an integrated digital technology strategy that this utilization of digital technology, what we might refer to as digitalization, is a valuable tool in doing several things. One, it increases you know, our brand awareness and also our client connectivity. And so when this is done well, it becomes actually a great equalizer. And so when I think about in sometimes the divide between us and many of our most important stakeholders, we can actually get a closer connection with an existing client or a fresh connection with a new client or stakeholder. And that connection is increasingly a digital one. So again, when I think about it, again, we see the challenges uh, that, are, uh, that arise from our necessity of integrating technology, but we also see the opportunities. And so it is thus uh, both the problem and the solution. Now, the second thing I observed in terms of themes is sustainability is sustainable. And so this reference to sustainability, when I refer to that, it's that principle uh, that we know that um, as investors, uh, really as, as stewards, uh, we have to think about the needs of the present generation also while thinking about meeting the needs of future generations. And we do this through an emphasis on three things, making sure uh, there's a healthy global environment, a stable society, which is well-functioning, and also well-governed enterprises. And so in the sense, uh, for instance, in our business, when we think about sustainable investing, it involves the explicit consideration of criteria uh, in the environmental, uh, social, and governance realms. 
And this actually is informing our uh, decision-making process. And so if you look at sustainable investing, surely it's growing very quickly. The compounded annual growth over the last decade you know, is in excess of 15% and growing at an even more accelerated pace in the last three to five years. And so for us, uh, we look at it as being a core part of our integrated process as we think about investing, having been involved in some form of sustainable investing uh, for over three decades. Now, what are the things that will make it sustainable? I, I like to refer to generation now. And so we're seeing really broadening investor demands. I can look at a, a small segment of the sustainable investing space and say, uh, look at index funds. And so index funds that have ESG criteria are approaching 300 billion in assets under management. I actually think from, from, from our perch where our headquarters is, the US, interestingly enough, has been one of the slower adopters, because if I think about our global business, much more leadership in areas like Europe and Australasia. But even in the US, we're seeing this market grow now uh, very quickly. It's quadrupled in the last three years, and it makes up only 1% right now, sustainable investments or ESG of the overall US market. So with that being the largest market, using that as an example, there's this tremendous opportunity that will be driven uh, by this uh, growing demand. And when I think about the fact that there is over 30 trillion in wealth that will transfer from the baby boom generation to Gen, uh, to gen Xers and millennials, you know, over the next 10, or 10 plus years, you can see how that broadening demand and that movement of money will drive many of these sustainable trends. The other thing is that measurement really matters. One of the things that has encouraged more focus on sustainable investments is the fact that you just have better accounting standards and frameworks. I mean, consider the PRI, Principles for Responsible Investment, the UN Global Compact. You've seen organizations uh, really evolve into more stronger positions like the SASB. I've even seen collaborations by the big four accountants in the World Economic Forum to draft a set of ESG standards. Uh, most recently, we saw here the CFA Institute just introduced ESG disclosure standards. Now, why does all that matter? This increasing utility and availability of frameworks, data, and performance measures means that it makes it more accessible to various investors, investor types. I think the other thing I would add to that is if you look at, for example, one data point, Morningstar noted last year that 70%, actually over 70% of sustainable funds ranked in the top half of their categories. And so what that's saying is that the kind of measurement that we're using and the returns that we're seeing from these product, product, products are dispelling you know, old notions that there was an inherent performance trade-off. The last thing you see is what I refer to as this persistence of purpose. And as enterprises place a renewed focus on a stakeholder-centric approach, it involves, again, a deeper articulation of client goals, an expanded sense of accountability to investors, and a commitment to ensuring you know, the people and the vendors that they do business with and the communities in which they do business in thrive well, sustainability just becomes a natural focus. Now, the last thing I offered is this thought that, you know, the agile take most. And so if we think on our timeline, following the last uh, financial crisis really impacting our industry, you know, 2007 to 2009, we talked about the Great Recession. We experienced a number of things. Uh, we saw the rise of passive. We saw increased regulations. We saw this kind of winners take most dynamic that happened in many aspects or parts of our ecosystem. And while I don't believe in the thought that quote unquote winners take all, I do wanna say that as 
firms that will be successful in the future will have to navigate to rapidly changing environments, I believe that the Agile will indeed take most. So what will the Agile do? Uh, the first thing I think that the Agile do is uh, they will make the trends their friends. The pandemic has effectively sped up the clock on the secular trends that I referred to that are driving our industry and that are accelerating. And what are some of those trends? Think of the shifting demographics. The developed world is aging, so wealth in a sense is younger. It's more uh, shifting towards uh, women. Women now control over 25, 26% of the wealth in the world and growing quickly. More wealth in the hands of ethnic minorities. Investor preferences for solutions and outcomes are becoming stronger. There's consolidated buying power. If you think about some of the pressures on our business model, persistent fee pressure or rising structural costs like compliance or technology that I referred to earlier. And then thinking about digital innovation. These are all trends that are solidly in place, but the agile will take advantage of these trends. They will make them their friends. Next, we have to become more innovative. <laughs> what does that mean? One of the clearest implications for the acceleration of these trends is the need for greater innovation. That can be innovation of service models, processes, and product innovation. But the point is what we would think of as product life cycles, whether you're in a product oriented business or service oriented business, they are becoming shorter. And so that implication means that we all have to drive innovation and go out from wherever we sit today on that curve. The last thing I observe is the Agile will acquire new skills. And so we all have to diversify our employee and client base implement new digital technology, evolve our leadership and talent practices, which is probably one of the most important things that we'll have to scale. And we have to do all of this at a much faster rate. And so this means that to acquire the skills that we don't currently have in our organizations, we have to do, be more agile and we have to do this in a, in a very competitive environment. Now, this last assertion that I make may seem daunting to some, and to be successful, what I'm suggesting is, in a sense, we have to be smarter, better, and do everything faster. Now, even though that might sound like a daunting task, I want you to consider this. Just consider your professional and personal experiences over the last year. If you had put together a risk assessment or a case that described the circumstances that we were going to walk into about 15 months ago, not many people would have thought that we would have had the level of resilience that we've seen, or let alone the viability in many of the aspects of our business models. And unlike crises that we've seen before, even the most recent, this was really 24-7, impacting our professional, but even in a bigger sense, our personal lives. Yet what we've seen is the power of the human spirit. And it is the same sense of purpose, creativity, and ingenuity that must be called upon to produce the agility that will be required to have good success in the funds industry in the present and beyond. So with that, uh, I'd like to invite uh, my colleague, uh, Pat, uh, to join, and I'm interested in, in engaging in some dialogue and questions. Sundran, thank you so much for, for your comments and really, um, what was an all-encompassing, but actually a very upbeat and a very optimistic presentation, which I think is really well needed, particularly given some of the, the challenges that everyone has faced. Um, a lot of what you talk about, and when you bring it together, it, it comes into the whole theme of leadership. I mean, I know that, that you wrote yourself an open letter to civic and business leaders about this idea of compassionate leadership. And, you know, 
when you wrote that and, and what led you to write it, you know, really what led you to write it and also in putting those actions really into effect in Northern Trust, how's that journey going for you? Because I know it's not something that's ever done, but it's a journey. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because if I think about, you know, the time when I pinned that letter, this is April of last year. It's the earliest uh, portions uh, of, you know, this global uh, pandemic. And what really was on my mind is the fact that, yes, it was affecting us from an economic standpoint or a business standpoint. But again, this thought that this carries over into our personal lives. We don't we don't get we don't have two lives. Right. And we have to realize our, our influence and our ability to have positive impact as leaders. And so the word compassion was so important with me, because if you think about the very etymology of the word, it means to suffer with. And this ability to appreciate as leaders, there were lots of inequities that were laying in plain sight. There were incredible demands that were being placed on all of us and the people that we work with. And they had to do this in the midst of a health and humanitarian crisis. And so I think it calls for a certain kind of leadership, not just one that we should see in the time of crisis, because crisis reveals what's really inside of us, uh, but the kind of leadership that I think should inform us in all periods of time. And I think it's important that we actually speak to those things and we hold ourselves accountable to those things because they ultimately reflect our values. Oh, th that, I think that's true. And I know when, when we developed our own strategic framework for the industry, this question of leadership and how we demonstrate it and how we develop it, not only within what we do, but also how we interact and advocate and engage with lots of stakeholders is important. I, I was struck as well by the whole discussion and the part of your, your presentation around the digital divide and uh, the fact that, you know, there are those that probably believe that there are aspects of our business that can't be replaced by what might be done digitally. If you had a, a crystal ball, or you could look forward. What are those aspects that you think will be fully digital when we, you know, we implement and make those investments in technology that you spoke about? Yeah. So, so the one thing that, that I would say, and, and I push people really hard on this notion, if you look at, if you were to decompose many of the aspects of what we do, even in knowledge-based jobs every day, um, into its finer parts, machines can do most of them, the vast majority of them, and better and faster. And so it's really not about the micro elements, so to speak, or the decompose. It's about how we bring all those things together. And so what I like to say is there's this sometimes a false dichotomy, and I'm going to come specifically to your question about, you know, is it a, is, is it a man or is it a machine? I think the reality is that um, certain components of how, for instance, we serve clients, I think a lot of that will become digital. Because if I think about like what we do now in our digital marketing, we literally can, can in a sense, based on a user's engagement with us on a web portal, actually learn from them and see the things that are of most interest to them. We can use AI in a sense to answer questions that they have and the like. So again, significant parts of how even we serve clients from a relationship management standpoint, how we deliver reporting and data and all those things, I am wholly convinced will be principally digitally. This, that being said, I think that is a positive upshot because if you think about our roles as relationship managers, as uh, product developers and so forth and so on, what are we often lacking? Time, white space. 
to be able to offer our highest and best insights and our advice to clients. So I think done well, what this means is we become what I describe as our bionic selves. So I don't think I would look at it as this false dichotomy, you know, sort of man or machine. I would look at it this way though. If we don't choose to deploy the benefits of that technology and our competitors do, the practical reality is they will be more effective and more efficient. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think that when we've talked a bit about how we've all made a transition, even in terms of how we interact, um, it's very easy to convey content. It's much harder to convey context. And I yeah. think that that's where maybe human interaction comes in. But we've had Absolutely. a question in from, from the audience, and it's really around um, the, the, the notion of agility and agile that you're talking about is very thought-promoting. Uh, you mentioned many factors or attributes that need to be addressed. Do you have a sense of the relative prioritization of the different attributes of an agile organization? Yes. So I think it starts with this. And so I want to segregate because you, the, the term agile can be used in a lot of contexts and sometimes uh, almost overused. A lot of times people think about it in terms of how you deploy like technology or they think about, you know, quote unquote, agile decision making frameworks. I'm using Agile in the true sense of, of, of agility and what that means. And I think the place, if I prioritize it, we have to see it most is within how we actually learn, how we, de how we uh, uh, develop and evolve our strategy, right? Because I, I think what's happened over time in our business, right, it's, it's a business that's founded upon expertise. We have people with deep and incredible technical knowledge. The problem is when you have a rapidly changing environment, it's not that the, in, that, that knowledge isn't valuable. It just think about it as perishable goods. So the most important thing we can do actually starts culturally with cultivating a learning culture, having people that are intellectually curious that actually have a very important but often not often seen quality of challenging assumptions, right? What we also have to do is we have to think about our, our, our strategy. You know, when we lay out a strategy, um, the how, right? Our principle should endure, but the how has to be constantly evolving. And understanding that we're, it's like we're constantly, you know, adjusting the lens or our scope towards that point on the distance that we're moving forward. So being agile in our thinking that way. The last thing I would say is I do think our decision-making processes throughout. So think about our managerial processes have to be more agile. I, I, I could say this, Pat, you know this is true. Anybody that 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 has actually works for a large corporation can probably point to most of the managerial processes and say that they could be more efficient, more effective, more agile. Well, listen, I think on, on, on that whole point, I'm sure I, I'd love to talk to you for another hour, actually, and we could really get into a number of the topics. I just want to say a very sincere thank you for joining us and for adding I think some really powerful thoughts and ideas into the discussion around change and really development and agility and innovation that we're going to have to bring through. And I know forms part of some of the, the content we've later on today. Thank you very much. And we hope that you and all your colleagues uh, in the States and your families stay well. Thanks very much. Thank you, Pat.